This is the intro, this is the intro, this is the intro to the Poet and Billy Podcast Extravaganza! It's a weird one, I don't know how if we should just do like a hard intro or I say like, welcome to the show. You never had like a proper guest, normally it's like somebody we're super familiar with. Oh, thanks, now you're just insulting anyone that's ever been on the show. You're not really guests. Hey, you're making me nervous now, too. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, uh, Jake, let me first say welcome to the Poet and Billy Show. Uh, we're joined today by first-time author Jake Shuford, uh, and he's going to be here today to talk about his book, The Secret of the Green Anole. Did I pronounce that right? You pronounced it. Perfectly. All right, perfect. Because I'm terrible at reading and spelling. And not only did you pronounce that right, you pronounced my last name right too, which is just also phenomenal. Yeah, awesome. I was thinking that. I was like, man, Poet is on fire tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, good times, good times. Well, um, before we get started, let's just say uh, that I, Jake, and I know each other. We are formally. Um, colleagues uh adversaries if you will he he worked for a rival company to mine uh in the medical uh industry our companies Um, were rival our friendship is not that's true that is very true uh um but full disclosure jake and i uh have known each other what now like two years Oh, no, I'd say three to four years. Is it three? God damn, has it really been that long? Yeah, because I, I worked for Arthrex for about four and a half years, and I felt like I met you pretty recently after I started working there. So let's call it three years. Golly, man, that's crazy. I can't believe it's already been three years. I, I, wait, I don't want to talk about that. you think that's crazy, wait till I tell you how long we've known each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'll be honest, when Jake told uh, us he was quitting his job because he wrote a book and was published, I was shocked. I did not know. I mean, I knew you were kind of a, I would say, a nerdy individual, but <laughs> I was unprepared to hear that you were an, a writer and had written a whole book. Yeah, that that is correct. Uh, nerdy is an understatement. Um, you, you know, fortunately, I you know I'm I'm proud of my uh, nerdiness, I should say, and uh, everything you said has been absolutely correct. And once again, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on tonight. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. I can't wait to dig a little deeper and get to know the two go a little bit better. Uh, perfect. Well, there's first... not much to us. I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, first, let me ask, when when did you get into, or when did you want to think of, you know, when did you start wanting to be a writer, think you wanted to get be a writer, get into writing? Yeah, so, um, you know, growing up my entire life, I've always been a big reader. You know, ever since I was a little kid, everywhere I went, went I usually had, you know, a book. I was always, you know, a huge reader. Um, I would say, you know, my sophomore year in college, I started getting the idea of, you know, I really wanted to write my own book. You know, if I read a bunch of books, loved it so much, writing my own sounded right up my alley and sounded pretty cool. 
But, you know, college, you're busy, you know, networking, studying for classes, going out, meeting people that, you know, once I started in college, it didn't really go anywhere. And uh, I'd rather just go out and meet people instead of, you know, staying at home and write. Uh, then, you know, I graduated college. I got a full time job. And still, I just had that, you know, that little voice in the back of my head just saying, you know, you really should do this. I really, really want to do it. So one day I just said, screw it. Just start, start with a page a day. And literally about exactly a year ago last year is when I started writing my first novel. So call it, you know, November 1st of last year is when wow. I started. Wow, that's cool, man. Who were uh, who were some of your uh, who were some of the writers you that you liked to read growing up? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna. My answer is pretty cliche. Uh, you know, I, it's not like I read a bunch of nonfiction or anything that had you know extreme economic uh, significance or anything. But you know, I loved Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. You know, your your uh, George R. R. Martin, your Tolkien, uh, your Rowling. Um, Stephen King was huge for me. Um, all, all those uh, authors, I, I was a huge fan and had a huge influence over my writing. With a specific shout out to Stephen King, he I really like his writing style, I really like his thriller psychological aspect, and he really kind of inspired me to you know take up writing and see what kind of damage I could do with it. Yeah, you'd be hard pressed, I think, to find anybody interested in writing or becoming a writer, particularly in a, a genre, if you're talking about horror or science fiction or fantasy, and the name Stephen King doesn't come up as somebody that has inspired them in some way. Uh, right. I also am a big reader. I, I also am trying to be a writer. Uh, so I, I definitely am with you on that one. I've, I, Stephen King is the reason I got to reading in the first place. I just remember... That, that's awesome. And, and for those of you who like Stephen King, who uh, haven't read his most recent book called The Institute, I just want to say I recommend it wholeheartedly. The Institute is an awesome, awesome book, awesome characters, and everyone should read it if they have the chance. It really was excellent. Oh, so you, you read it as well? I, I have read it, yeah. He loves okay, Avery Dixon, Avery Dixon, a.k.a. The Apester, favorite character. Uh, I, my favorite uh -huh. character He's is not favorite. a good one. He's your favorite character that Stephen King's ever wrote? No, sorry. He's my favorite character in that specific book. Got you. In that uh, specific her book. name escapes me. My favorite character was actually the woman who ran the Institute. Oh, and it was because 16? I was – I she was such a bitch, and I was so excited when she finally got her comeuppance. I was like, yeah, you terrible <laughs> yeah. person. <laughs> yeah. Her, her name Spoiler is alert. Shit, yeah. the bad guy loses. <laughs> <laughs> Her name is literally Miss Sigsby. That just has evil written all into it. Like I, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell you a person who's good whose name would be Miss Sigsby. <laughs> That's funny. I am not a Stephen King fan. Interesting. I, of his writing, not that um, I've read, I tried to read a lot. I think I only ever tried to read it, and it right. never really <laughs> sat with me. You're like I'm gonna I'm gonna try to read a Stephen King book. Let me pick up this brick. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally thinking the same thing. I'm gonna try the Stephen King book. Let me choose the longest possible one you could possibly write. Nah, man. You know, you know I think book, I'm gonna read book. L. Ron Hubbard. Where's Battlefield Earth? I'm gonna give that a shot. 
Hey, does anyone have War and Peace? I'd love to read that. <laughs> oh, man. I did not expect to get roasted. Oh, man. Um, all right, then. What would you recommend for somebody to read a Stephen King novel, first off, that tried it and was like, no, nah, I'm good? I, I would say uh, The Institute. The Institute, the Institute is, a, is, a, is a good recent one. It, uh, it is a bit – I mean, it's not super thick. It's what, maybe six – between six, seven hundred pages. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd say between, I'd say six hundred pages. I think you would be better off with a shorter book. Uh, honestly, his uh, shorter books in the '80s are some of my favorites. Uh, Misery, Pet, The Dead Pet Zone, Cemetery Cujo. Is really good. Pet Cemetery hey, is fantastic. I do like me a good Stephen King uh, movie though, which is weird. Shawshank Redemption, love it. Misery was great. Uh, I like the It miniseries, not enough to watch the new It movies. Um, yeah. I did I, like I uh, Christine as a, as a kid too. I, I actually Christine is one of those few situations where I like the movie better than the book. I'm not really a car oh. guy, so I was like, eh, this isn't really the book for me, I guess. Uh, mm. But when you're watching it, it's very dick. Because like at least when I'm watching the movie, can appreciate the special effects like the way that they bust that car up and then it heals itself it's 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 a that's a really fun movie is this the mr mercedes uh no christine oh okay I, i've actually never uh watched or read that one uh i would say just watch the movie not that there's <laughs> anything right because i like the book it's just i didn't love it it's one of those things i was like like i just reread the shining because it's october you know you gotta, you gotta right, right. be spooky and read some stuff and that's a great book and i haven't read it in years so i was like all right yeah i'm gonna read this again even though i've read it before and there's quite a few stephen king books i could see myself reading again christine just isn't one of them that's not because it was bad necessarily it just wasn't i think I, no i 100 agree with everything you're saying the, the reason why i like the institute is i feel like stephen king uh, you know, for the first time for me personally, really exemplified, highlighted and talked about stuff that was of significance to me. Like, for instance, there's a lot of stuff in the book that I can relate to, whereas all the books he wrote in the 1970s and 80s before I was born, it's hard for me to you know relate to all that. But all, all the current stuff like talking about Trump and talking about Atlanta and talking about you know, beers and Mike's Hard Lemonade and stuff like that's more prevalent to, you know, our current time, I thought was extremely interesting. It is. It is. And it's really impressive that he manages to do that still uh, without it being overbearing or being right. in your face. Right. Uh, because it's very it, the Institute is very clearly for those of you that not really know to me anyway, I'm sure that there's multiple ways you can interpret this. Uh, it, it's it's about uh, the for the most part, kids at the border locked up in cages and yep. it's not really hidden in the book. I mean, they don't flat out say it, but it's very clear. It's about the mistreatment of children who have really done nothing wrong. They're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yep. Uh, you know, basically they're one, the one thing they did was they were born like that. It's, but again, I, it's one of those things that until you get deep into the book, I don't think you would even think about because you're just like, Hey, Stephen King, Mm. I like it. I never had hey, that hey. thought until after I finished the book. I think it hit me halfway through. There was there's a line in the book uh, where the main character. I'm so bad at remembering names. Uh, uh, the uh, kid, Luke. you because know, the Luke. in the book they Luke, yeah. So they 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 do uh, tests on these kids, uh, basically like 
torturing them in different ways uh, because they have certain abilities. Not super powerful ones, but for the gotcha. most part, they're kind of like. Uh, and at one point, the kid make you know, makes mention of the fact of like, how do you do this to children and not care that you're doing it? And then he's like, oh, it's because we're not your children. You don't really care. Because right. Mm. I was like, oh. Mm. I feel like there's you know, a Facebook comment here somewhere. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it's interesting because they're talking about, you know, these uh, people who are torturing these kids. Then all of a sudden these torturers will talk about their own kids and how much they love them, how they're doing great in school. Then they'll turn around and torture another kid that isn't their own. So that really just uh, exemplifies what you just said. Yeah, it's funny how people manage to really find ways to hate people or <laughs> treat people not like people, you know, in some – what is not actually logical, but to them is a logical way. Uh, I was actually just watching uh, – I haven't finished it yet. I need to. There's a documentary on Shudder that I think is worth watching. It's pretty interesting. It's called Scream Queen, uh, My, Na- My Nightmare on Elm Street, and it's about Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, I, it's been, been a, a very long time since I've seen it. Yeah, probably, yeah. Probably since it came out. No, that's not yeah. true. I would have watched it a bunch when the others came out and done marathons. Yeah, it's uh... that night. Is that the one with Johnny Depp or was no? No, that was the first one. This Johnny is Depp's one in the that... first one. Kevin, no, Kevin Bacon was in Friday the Thirteenth, huh? Yes, and Johnny Depp it, was in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And Tremors, yeah. don't forget Tremors. Yeah, oh yes. No. <laughs> so Nightmare on Elm Street Two though has what was it's basically like the most gay movie you could ever see uh, <laughs> without it being gay. Like it's very obvious to people when they watch it. They're like, uh, is this about the main character being gay? Cause it's like Freddy Krueger is taking over his body. And so the guy's like, there's this man inside of me and he's trying to take me. And like, uh. and then the visuals are really, and also the main, the main actor is turned out to be a gay man. Uh, and it's just when you watch there's when you watch it, uh, some it's just it's it can be kind of a silly movie, but a lot of you know a lot of uh, people in the LGBT community actually really like that movie a lot because of the fact that you know you can there's this there's this context there that a lot of people didn't really think about when they were making it at the time. Uh, the reason I bring it up is because uh, there, you know, you'll see people. They talk about in this documentary some of the comments online, like IMDb and stuff, where people will just throw around the F slur and you know, just like this is the worst horror movie. It's just about a guy, gay guy. He's Freddy. He's dumb. Man, I'm about to rewatch this movie. I don't know. I'm, it is. You know, it I'm is worth watching. <laughs> It's not look. It's not like a good horror movie in terms of like quality, like the scares and stuff. I don't think are that great. Uh, Some of the effects are pretty bad, actually. Some are still really good. Uh, But watching it with that in mind, it is an interesting movie. At least it's so it's it's definitely worth watching. Uh, But yeah, you know. But basically, these people, you know, because of the fact that this man is gay, like oh, it's it's like he's not even a person. And like they show like interviews of people talking about uh, issues with gay people from the '80s, and that's literally what one guy said. He was like, "Ah, oh, there's something wrong with these people. You know, they're they're sick in the head. You know, they're not even like people." Oh wow! It's like Jesus Christ, and it's like the fact that these people still exist. It's not like this was a hundred, two hundred years ago. Like that guy is probably still alive. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is true. I need to rewatch that movie because I. Definitely did not get that um, interpretation of it. But at the same time, this was years ago, and 
yeah. I definitely need to rewatch that. Oh, first. I was a kid when I first saw it. So at first I was like, well, this is just a bad movie. You know? it's, I guess it's it's fine. And then cool. one day you just kind of find these articles online. They're like, uh, is Nightmare on Elm Street 2 really gay? What? what? Oh my God! It is. I've never, I've never seen that article pop up What's on my really on my Google news on my Google's news filter. Oh man, read, like I've read some of the weirdest like movie like articles and stuff. Where I was just like, oh, I like this franchise. Let me see. Oh yeah, Friday the Thirteenth does remind me a lot of Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I made that up. That's not a real. I'm, as far as I know, I don't know. I, maybe we some that. Maybe I just started a. Oh man! Something about the Indians and Jason as a pilgrim. I don't know. We'll make it work. We'll make it work. It's Hollywood. We'll fix it in post. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's man. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, let's uh talk a little bit about your book, The Secret of the Green and Old. What inspired you and your topic? Um. Uh, do you want to you want to explain a little bit about what the book's about? I don't want to go yeah. too much into spoilers. Yeah, no, uh, for people, absolutely. but yeah, perfect. So the book is called "The Secret of the Green and All." And uh, as soon as I tell people that, I'd say ten out of ten, a hundred percent of the time, people look at me and go, "You know what the hell is a green and all?" So let's just get that out of the way right now. So a green and all is a type of lizard species that's predominant in the southeast United States. So they're everywhere in Alabama, South Carolina, Georgia, et cetera. Uh, What's special about these lizards is they have the capability to regrow their tails once they become detached. So now that leads me back to my book where the main character is Tim Hill, who's a surgeon, husband, and father of two kids. And he's trying to uh, learn and utilize this green and null regeneration phenomenon and apply it to his own practice and his own patients. And uh, he does some spooky, sadistic stuff along the way. Um, and were you, because I know you're from Alabama. We should probably right. let the, 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 the listeners at home know you're from Alabama. Were you a yep. big lizard kid uh, growing up? <laughs> I know this. I know where this is going, Nate. I know where. This oh is no! Going. Oh no! I hey man, I literally did not even think about that. So, so you did. You did have lizards growing up and oh, reptiles. Yeah, and stuff. I, I'm a big. Uh, I'm a big reptile amphibian guy. When I was growing up, I always had you know pet lizards, pet snakes. Um, for about ten years, I had a bearded dragon, which is essentially like about the size of an iguana. Um, yeah, no, I, I always, always loved, uh, you know, reptiles and lizards, amphibians, all, all that sort. That's cool. No, I really wasn't thinking about the, the snake story. <laughs> Do we want to bring it up at all now that you kind of brought it up? I literally was not <laughs> going to mention your snake story. No, uh, it, it, it's all good. And uh, to, to answer your next question on, you know, what inspired me for this book, um, you know, was a couple things like, yes, I love lizards, amphibians, reptiles, all that. Uh, yes, I loved, you know, reading as a kid, always wanted to write, but I'd say, you know, the one thing that kept popping up that really signaled me to write a book is, you know, my uh, previous job of being a medical sales rep, you know, I was in the operating room helping out and facilitating with, you know, your surgeries, ACL, rotator cuff, meniscus, you know, whatever. And, um, every time I'd come home after work, I'd have friends meet up with me and they say, Hey Jake, you know, what surgeries did you do today? You know, tell us about them. And what they thought was so interesting is, you know, the common person has no idea 
how a rotator cuff procedure happens or how, you know, or the technique for an ACL reconstruction or anything like that. It's so foreign and, and bizarre to them. And so I kind of let them take a peek behind the curtain and they thought that was the coolest thing ever. So that kind of, uh, you know, relates to me writing this book. And that's why there's so many surgery scenes in this book is because, you know, I want readers who aren't, uh, lucky enough to go into an operating room to be able to take a peek behind that curtain to kind of see how things work. Interesting. Yeah. And it also kind of, uh, I think makes my book a little more unique. I'm, I'm sure there's books out there that talk about surgeries and stuff, but there's not that many of them. And for the, you know, the few people that have read my debut novel, they've definitely said that, you know, their favorite scenes are the surgery ones. Cause it's nice that they're able, able to learn something. And essentially that's, you know, one major reason why people like to read books is, is to learn something. And I'm happy that they're able to learn, you know, surgery stuff. Yeah, it's one of those big rules you always hear is like, write what you know. And that seems to be what you're doing. And that's a, that's the smart way to go. I think that uh, regard, you know, I can't think of a ton of, I suppose you might even call it medical horror type. Uh, exactly. Yeah. 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 I can't think of a ton, especially in books. Um but even if there were, I mean, no one could, no one is going to write this book except for you. You know, yeah. I can't remember what, like what the quote is. There's one I've heard a long time ago about, you know, there's a million haunted house stories, but there's, but no one can write your haunted house story, but you. Right. There's a million haunted house stories, but one, only one Amityville horror or whatever. Yeah. let see yeah. all of the, you know, no matter how many, because how many, you know, how many times has the story been done to death? Uh, because I mean, nothing is not really original. Like there's, you know, so many. There's only so many stories to go around. Right. Uh, let's be let's be honest. Harry Potter is just a copy of Star Wars. We all know it. Oh, so it, that's actually really interesting that you brought that up. So I just finished a book <laughs> called uh, called The Writer's Journey. It's by Christopher Vogler, and pretty much what it talks about is how every book is essentially the same type of story. Uh, and, and Star Wars was actually one of the main topics that it hit on. But it pretty much says every story is called the hero's quest. And the hero, which could also be the main character or the anti-hero, uh, you know, is, is on a quest. They run into some sort of dilemma. You know, they fall back from it because they're too scared. But eventually they, uh, you know, get more powerful via a mentor or a wizard or a Jedi, etc. And they're able to fulfill their destiny conquer evil and then live happily ever after and that is literally the the basis in the roots for i'd say 99 percent of all books and stories out there I've, I've heard this before how old is this book actually when did it come i out? you know what I, I i'm not sure how old i mean less than 100 years old um, uh, yeah because I, I know i've heard i've heard something similar to this before oh yeah, so i asked because i was wondering like, i feel like maybe george lucas read this like he was like, "Ah, oh, this is how you're gonna. This is how I'm gonna do Star Wars. <laughs> Just do this exact story." <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, uh, that like he was. The, a, you were, were you about to mention the part where the protagonist kisses his sister and finds out later it's his sister, and, uh, and George I'm, Lucas I'm is like, "This Alabama. is weird, but it's in the book. I guess Hell, I gotta no, do it." No, that was an Alabama joke. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad Alabama joke. We I can't lose our Alabama like listeners, Jake. <laughs> Hey, there are core audience. Super, I love you. Not like that. <laughs> um, no, Bama. Um, he, well, true story. He's not a he's not a roll tide. 
I am not. I am absolutely not a Roll Tide. Um, for my best friends out there who are Roll Tides, I apologize, but go dogs, go Georgia, 100%. Uh, where uh, where uh, were you born in Alabama? Were you from in Alabama? Yeah, so born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, lived there pretty much my entire life until I went to college. Uh, then I moved to Colorado for college. I went to CU Boulder, go Buffs. Uh, you know, graduated in four years, then moved to Denver and have lived in Denver for almost five years. Nice, man. Nice. So, so out of that, out of that, a, a lot of people ask, you know, okay, so you're from Alabama, you went to Colorado, how the hell are you a Georgia fan? And so the reason I'm a Georgia fan is because, you know, that's where I'd say almost all of my uh, family members went. I uh, grew up being a diehard Georgia fan, will die being a diehard Georgia fan, and and yeah, love that state, love that team, and go dogs. I knew you went to CU, but I also, in my head, thought you went to Georgia because you were a Georgia Bulldog fan. Oh, that, 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 that confused a lot more people than just you, I promise you that. That is too funny. <laughs> I yeah, I'm, I'm actually uh, an anti-Alabama football fan um especially after the previous weekend where they just whooped on us unfortunately but uh oh did they beat you guys last weekend yeah yeah they, they did beat us but this is all i'm gonna say is you know i'll see them in the sec champ it'll be a different game then <laughs> how are the buffaloes doing this year i have so haven't even started sports. yet they haven't oh no co- you know covid's kind of thrown everything off um yeah. i think their first week is no, they start November 7th, I believe. Wow. Um, so, or something, you know, first week in November they start. So they technically have not had their first game yet. So I guess technically they're undefeated. <laughs> hey, perfect. This is, this right now is probably the best record they'll have all year. Right. That's a shame. <laughs> Cause I remember when, I remember when the buffs were like, you know, competing for national championships. Oh, so that's 1990. So interesting yep. fact: the last time Colorado CU Buffs played Georgia was, I think, in 1990, uh, and they won. CU uh, Colorado won. Okay, I was gonna, I was that wasn't the fifth down game, but that was against. No, Missouri. so the fifth down game, I was that, that was against Michigan or Michigan? it was either Missouri or Michigan. I can't remember which one. I think one. it was Missouri. I think it was. I think it's Missouri too, because that wouldn't make sense to have two teams from the same conference be in the championship so i'm pretty sure it was missouri yeah um, and i think correct me if i'm wrong was that for like a championship as well i i think it m- might have been to go to the championship to game. To, I, I, it was yeah. a very important game because i think that I put us in one of the orange bowls interesting interesting it's been so long since i followed c sports i went to csu uh, for a couple of years, and then they uh, they broke up with me. They needed to work on themselves. They said I was a great guy, <laughs> and they didn't want to hold me back. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, so, uh, but I always rooted for CU and CSU. So, uh, um, I, I I agree with that. My my rivalry is with Alabama. You know, there is, for me personally, there is no CU-CSU rivalry. I love both schools. I love both campuses. Every time I go to Fort Collins or Boulder, I have a great time. Yeah, same. And uh, best of wishes and luck to everyone in Fort Collins right now with those fires. Uh, I hope we can figure that out and, you know, get you back home safely. 
Yeah, we were talking about that on the last week's episodes about how the bad the fires have been in Colorado this summer. They, they have. They I mean, have and awful. this new one, like, dude, it's just insane. We just got another one that just what just crested a hundred thousand acres. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the way the this year one, has like, gone so far, I'm more surprised with the places that don't have fires. Yeah. <laughs> you either got fires or COVID. Apparently, you got to choose one or the other. Yeah. But, and usually, the second one will follow. If you yeah, chose COVID, usually if fire will follow. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, everyone out there suffering with fires, I wish you and your family the absolute best of luck. Right? Yeah, we do. Um, Well, I want to talk a little bit about your writing process. So you said when you started, was so is this the first thing you've really sat down to write? Have you written short stories, poetry, plays, anything else before this book? Um, sort of, this is definitely my first novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wrote, so when I was a senior or a junior in college, I was part of this program through CU called the business of sports program. And pretty much, I mean, long story short, what that pretty much was is they uh, put me in a group of five people and we were interns for, um, the Denver, uh, lacrosse team. And uh, what we did for, you know, three months of the summer is we had to come up with a unique business plan for the Denver Outlaws lacrosse team. And that business plan was the first thing that I had written that was lengthy. And by lengthy, I mean, it was over 100 pages. And yes, I was in a group with four other people. But, you know, in college, you know, five of us total putting our heads together and coming up with a over a hundred page business plan was pretty spectacular. And I, and I, and I'll never forget when we printed that out for the first time and binded it, and we were able to hold it physically in our hands. It truly was something special and unique to me. And I really liked the way it looked. And uh, I'd say that was probably the first thing I ever wrote that was long and lengthy and that I could physically hold. But in, in terms of short stories or plays uh, no, I've never written anything like that, but before I wrote this book. And so when you started to sit down, you said you, you just worked on a page a day. Is that kind of how you got started? Just Correct. Yeah. Like so just... when, when I got started, so let, let's say no, last year, November 1st is when I started, mm-hmm. I'd say all of October, I knew I was going to write, but didn't really know what I was going to write about. So all of October, I kind of mentally mapped out what I kind of wanted the story to be about. And then November 1st comes around and uh, I said, you know what? Just write one page every day. If you write one page every day, that means after a year, you'll have 360 pages uh, worth of material. That's about a book. So I said, screw it. Let's let's do, uh, you know, one page a day. So I started that. And what's interesting is a lot of people think you would start at the very beginning. Uh, while that might probably be beneficial, I actually started towards the end. Because when you're writing one page a day and you have kind of no idea what you're going to write about, you're going to write about something that you know you're going to write about. And the beginning was actually one of the last pieces of my book that I wrote. So I kind of started like 80% in my novel. Interesting. Yeah, I I thought, you know, it's always fun to write the exciting scene. So I thought, you know, might as well start there. Well, that's how uh, with with this comic that I've been writing – how I started was with an action scene um, just to get that out of, so that there's something fun and exciting at the beginning, but then I could get into 
sort of uh, the minutia of introducing you more to the world and the characters. Um, Interesting. And so, uh, uh, but for for with for this in this uh, for me, I almost always write front to beginning to end. So, and, and going off that, um, <laughs> what I did. I thought was incorrect. It, it made things a lot harder <laughs> than normal. So for, for instance, here, here's a piece of advice for people trying to write their first books, write on a blank piece of paper, write out all the characters and write the physical traits of these characters. You know, Jake, blonde hair, brown eyes, six foot tall, likes sports. Cause there were so many times that since I started in the middle or towards the end of the book that the main character would have, different color hairs compared to the he did at the beginning of the book or his eye color would change or his favorite sport would go from soccer to football. And it just made a lot of, you know, BS nonsense. I had to go and sweep up at the very end. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm working on the rough draft for my first novel and I'm only about 25,000 words into it right now. And already I'm at the point where I'm like, did I say this already about this character? Did I describe it like this? Like, I feel like I'm going to go and reread it again once I'm done and be like, I said this like three times. <laughs> exactly. So, so my piece of advice is before you even start writing, have your characters written down on a piece of paper and have all their attributes list or their physical attributes listed out. So when you go and type in, you go, Oh, does Tim have blue eyes or green eyes? I can't remember. You can just go and kind of look and, and, and then go from there. And then, and then going off that, uh, uh, Nate, like you said, you're you know you're a beginning to an end type of person. Uh, I already wrote the second book, not a sequel, just a second book, and I absolutely did it linear from the beginning to the end. Interesting. I was going to ask you about that. So you've written your you're fully you think you're fully done with your second novel? Not fully done. I've uh, so, like so this is my this is my draft, writing process. Draft? This this is my writing process. I mean, when it comes to drafts. It's mm-hmm. hard. I mean, you could essentially say the book, The Secret of the Green and Old, is essentially the 25th draft. You know, yeah. I, I I lose count after two. But uh, anyway, so, so what I like to do is I like to, uh, let's say a month before I start writing, I want to go ahead, go ahead and have all the characters listed out, what their main attributes, their physical traits are. Uh, I want to go ahead and try to have as many chapters planned out with bullet points as you know as much as detail as i can possible so that way when i sit down and i look at today oh today's time to write chapter four i already have bullet points already have quotes already know the general idea of what's going to happen so my main process like i said is you know develop the characters write their traits you know map out the entire book in bullet points whatever and then start from chapter one and try to do a chapter a day. That, that's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so then after that, so let's say the first draft is written. I'll go through, I'll reread it once or twice more. Uh, make sure to get rid of as many typos as I can. Kind of sharpen it up, polish it up a little bit. And then after that, I have uh, three people that I send it to. And what's unique about these three people is they kind of give me, um, you know, a little diversity in the spectrum of reading. You know, I, I have one person who is an English teacher for, you know, several, several years. She's good in that aspect. I have, uh, you know, one friend who's kind of a literary snob, went to college as a literary major, and she's very, you know, he's super critical on literary works. So that was very beneficial. And then I got one of my best friends who's just your, you know, your everyday typical reader. You're not super critical, but knows 
what books are good and what aren't. Um, so I gave it to these three people. I let them read it. And then they, uh, and whenever I do this, I always print out and mail it to them so they can physically write all over it. Uh, then they'll mail it to me back. We'll have phone conversations. They'll tell me, you know, what worked, what didn't, character development, endings, etc. Then after that, I take all that I've learned, all that they've taught me, apply it uh, accordingly to my novel. I'll reread it once or twice more to get rid of extra typos, shape and polish it up again. And then after that, I'll uh, give it to a professional editor. And these professional editors really just go through line through line, making sure my grammar punctuation etc is correct after that they'll give it back to me and we'll we'll do this process you know three times after that they'll give it back to me i'll reread it a couple more times make sure it is you know as close to perfect as possible as possible and then i'll uh, publish it after that so i i like like i said when it comes to drafts i probably write 20 to 30 drafts per book uh at the minimum before it gets released Gotcha. And you self-published this, is that correct? Correct. This first book I self-published, and um, which and, is you know, interesting because a lot of people think self-published has a negative uh, you know, persona to it. And I, I kind of disagree to that. I, I think right now, especially during COVID, and especially being you know, a first-time author, it's very, very, very hard being picked up by a publisher. They're very busy looking at your Stephen King's your uh your Rollins, your Tolkien's, your George R. R. Martins of the world instead of your your debut author. So, you know, my hopes is to one day be um picked up traditionally. My hopes is that this first book does well enough on Amazon where I can catch the uh, attention of publishers. But um yeah, I don't know. I'm just kinda having fun with it. I reap more benefits being self published compared to traditionally published and yeah, like I said, I'm I'm trying something new. I'm in uncharted waters, but I'm just gonna have fun with it and try to learn as much as possible. Hey man, I'm yeah, a, I don't I'm know why not just go for it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a I fan of hip hop, that... and you know how many how many rappers were selling their own music out the out the trunk of their cars. So, well, how many oh, are doing I, it on SoundCloud now? Exactly. You know, it's you yeah, the, in in the in the age of the internet. You know, if you want to do something, it's I won't say it's easier to get it done, but the possibilities are a little bit more broad than they probably were 20, 30 and, and years ago. If you look at the statistics. The vast majority of authors now go down the self-published route. Yeah, vast it, majority. Um, it makes I, the most sense because you. I mean, it, it, you. It helps you. It, it helps you better control your your content and you owning owning your your stories and stuff. Exactly, and you know, <laughs> like like I said, I, I this is my first time self-publishing. I've never been traditionally published. I don't know which one's better. Maybe there is an answer. Who knows? But I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. I feel really good about this book, and I'm excited to see what happens. You know, I, I've, I've always been a big planner, and, uh, you know, this is just one thing that you just – I really just have no idea what's about to happen. Yeah, I mean, you kind of jump without a net. And I'll be honest with you, when uh, – when like, like I said, when you told me I was floored that you had wrote a book, um, and I'll, I'll be honest, it's been inspiring uh just uh talking with you about this and reading and reading the book itself uh which i enjoyed um and so yeah man i'm super super proud man it's, uh it's exciting jake thank you so much and i will say you know what you just said about the inspir me inspiring other people I i've gotten that quite a few times from a lot of people and, and arguably that might 
be the coolest, best aspect of writing this book is, you know, forget the content of the book, forget about if it's good or bad. The fact that I'm inspiring people, I mean, that that's just, that's amazing in itself. And I, I, you know, whether or not the book does well, it could flop and I'll still be happy that I touched, you know, some people's lives. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be nice to have it out there. Uh, And I think, because I think that's what most people don't do. Uh, There's a lot of people, I think, in the world that have that idea in their head of like, man, I should write a book or I should, you know, make an album or whatever their, you know, their dream or their thing is. And then they spend their whole life thinking about it and never really do it. Because a lot of times I think most people get that caught up in their head thing of like, I mean, no one's going to get it. No one's going to want it. No one's going to buy it. It's not like this. But that's that's all. That's like self-defeating, I think, before you've even stepped out the door. Like, you know what? Just, just do it. Do it so that you don't look back 20, 30 years from now and you're like, man, I wish I had done that. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I'm working on uh, this novel I'm working on now. And I really hope. Uh, turns out pretty good. Uh, so hopefully I'll be having a similar conversation as you're having a year from oh, now. And as soon as you're done with your novel, please send it my way. I'd love to read it, help edit, give you tips, feedback, advice. You know, so many people have supported me that I, I, I need to go out and support more people. So if you ever need my help, please feel free to know that you're welcome to reach out to me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, you know, but honestly, the thing that's, that, that gets me now is just having a... Now that I'm... A, it's, it's, it sounds so cheesy and ridiculous when you say but now i'm a dad uh, i have been for almost a year and there is something about having a kid where i'm like i want to do the things that are important to me that are like my dreams so that he can see like oh these things you know you can do these things i want him to see that because yeah i don't want to i don't want like a 13 year old to be like so dad you ever achieve your dreams and i'm like uh <laughs> no well, it, 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 yeah, no, I, I <laughs> yeah, those conversations you have with thirteen-year-olds. Oh my god! Am I the only one that had that conversation with my dad? Oh no! <laughs> no, I, I know what you're saying. And going off that, I, I remember oh. so when I started writing this book, I didn't tell anybody, and the reason why is I, I didn't want to jump the gun, get too excited tell people, Hey guys, I'm writing a book and then nothing comes of it. Then I, it doesn't look you know, good on me. So I actually waited till I was finished with my first draft. So this is about, I'd say six months, so six to seven months of writing. I finished my first draft and I've just started editing phases. And it just so happened that my uh, dad used, uh, happened to be in town. And like I said, I haven't told anybody about this yet. So him and I go, uh, we go to homegrown tap and dough in wash park. And we order a pizza and we're drinking a beer. And I said, hey, dad, you know, I've got uh, some news for you. Um, you know, I, I got something special I've been working on. It's finally done. And, you know, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to tell you. And, you know, he gets so excited. And, you know, he's, you know, he's trying, he's guessing left and right. Oh, you know, he has no idea what's going on. And uh, I tell him I wrote a book and, you know, his jaw dropped to the floor. And, uh, you know, he was super proud, super excited. And then, and then that's that. And then a few months later, uh, he's talking to me and he's going, you know, Jake, I'm just so proud of you. And I, you know, kind of looked at him. I was like, you know, dad, why are you proud of me? Like, yes, I wrote a book. Hopefully it's good, but it hasn't sold any copies yet. It's not officially out yet. You know, like I haven't gotten any results yet. You know, don't be proud of me just yet. And he goes, no, Jake, screw it. You said you're going to do something and you did it. And then, and I think it's going to be good. And I, I'm proud of you. 
So I, I think, you know, that kind of reflects upon what you said is it doesn't matter about the sales or the results. It's about doing something that you want to do and completing it. And, and that's almost more important than the sales aspect. Yeah. And plus, sorry, you, you, sorry you, to preach. Yeah. <laughs> Church. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but honestly, I mean, I, I'd like it because uh, of it helps feed my imagination. I've always been, I was a latchkey kid growing up. I was always the first kid at daycare, the last kid picked up. Um, once I was out of daycare, I was at my by myself at, at home a lot. So I've always been an escapist. Uh, and so I like anything that lets me escape. Um and so now when I'm sitting in a rotator cuff surgery, I'll be wondering what the doctor's doing at home. <laughs> Interesting. That, and that's literally, if you read the back of my book on the, on the, about the author, you know, providing an escape, that is literally what I'm trying to do for people. You know, life is hard. You know, you wake up, go to work, pay the bills, pay rent, you know, do all this hard stuff that it's nice to be able to come home open up a book to a new world and, and, and enjoy someone else's creativity. You know, I always kind of thought books were like outer space with each book being its own planet and its own galaxy full of other worlds and stuff. So yeah, no, I always thought books were a huge, you know, uh, escape vessel for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say the, the nerdiest spaceship I've ever ridden in. Um, you know, it's funny. I wasn't a book kid. I, uh, the two books that resonated with me as a kid were uh, Call of the Wild and Where the Red Fern Grows. Red Fern Grows. I, I've read both those books, uh, both of them a very long time ago, but I, I always, always loved Red Fern Grows. Oh, man, Red yeah. Fern. They both were great, I, but Red Fern that, Grows. That, that's a book just... I think everybody – I don't know if kids have to read it now in school, but I think for a long time every kid in school had to read Where the Red Fern Grows. Man, it was a heartbreaker. Um, it is, but uh, uh, I it, I didn't get into reading and uh, books until I was an adult, and it was two things. Uh, they they came out with the uh, the first group of Star Wars novels, nice, uh, and then Jurassic Park the movie came out, nice, and, and so like. Uh, so I read, I was reading the Star Wars novels and into that, and then I, and my, I saw Jurassic Park and I was like, yeah, I got to read this book. And that just ignited this like love of reading novels. Um, is Jurassic that, Park the novel good? I've, I've seen the movies incredible. I've never seen or read the book though. Novel's so good. It's is it? Yeah, it's, it's a it's, lot it's, different than the it's movie. It's very different, but it's good stuff, man. Yeah, it's good stuff. And the sequel book is also good. Um, and That's, also the different. Book is better than the movie. Yeah, and a way yeah, way different from the movie. And and as Billy would argue, better than the movie. <laughs> Actually, I think the Lost—I don't know if it's the Lost World. Or it's been some years since I've read them, but Lost World or Jurassic Park, one of them is probably my favorite Michael Crichton book. Like I think the best one. Uh, I've read a few others, and those two really—maybe because I loved those movies so much. You can probably hear my son yelling at me right now. You can hear Booker. What up? Yeah. What up? Um, Eaters Does of the like Dead. Does this sound like you saying "da da" to you, by the way? It it just sounded like he was like maybe saying ba ba da da. I mean, could have been anything. All I heard was he thought the secret of the green and old was amazing. That's what he I did. Heard. Two thumbs up. <laughs> Two thumbs up. 
Booker Houston, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'll say my favorite Michael Crichton book is Eaters of the Dead. Interesting. I I've, I've never, book. I've never read any of his books before. I know. I, I oh feel man, ashamed. dude, you, you, you really should invest some time in Michael Crichton books. Um, I think you would like. Uh, I think you'd like them. Uh, Eaters of the Dead, though, and 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 its movie, The Thirteenth Warrior, were always two of my favorite. Um, Michael Crichton joints, as it were. Interesting. I know. I definitely want to read Jurassic Park. That's always been one of my favorite movies. And I actually didn't even know it was a book until uh, yeah, a couple of years ago. So I, I would absolutely love to read that one. Well, you you know he's a former he's a he's a former doctor. He was uh, one of the creative uh, minds behind ER. And so there's some stuff that I think because of your medical background, oh, there's, th- there are different books he's written. Um, Andromeda Strain uh, comes to mind. Marathon Man uh, comes to mind. There's some there, and he's got some others that deal with a lot of medical stuff and just <laughs> the way he would go into in on stuff. Uh, it, he he really gets into the science behind. The well, conceit of his stories. Well, I, I and you're 100 percent true because I remember at the beginning of Jack, Jurassic Park. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the first one where they're getting introduced to you know the DNA being preserved in amber or the DNA being preserved in the mosquito that's preserved in the amber, and then that's how they're able to get the the, the dinosaur DNA. Um, I can't remember. I, I was in college or high school. My professor was saying that that, even though it's not necessarily true, very medically accurate. So it makes sense that the author is a doctor as well. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, a few months ago read Sphere, and it has a lot of. And it's and what's interesting about Sphere that I liked is it's a it has four or five experts in different fields. So you can see he did a lot of research. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Booker agrees. <laughs> I keep muting my mic because he's just—he's suddenly like, "Hey, no, you're 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 gonna hear me out. I got things to say about Michael Crichton." <laughs> it's great. I love when Booker joins the show. <laughs> Except for it's like it's funny when we try to get him to talk. Like, "Hey, you got something to say?" He's like, "Uh, nah. yeah, nah. He's like, "Oh, I think it's because he sees me talking." He's like, "Oh, we're having a conversation because he doesn't understand the headset yeah. on my head." <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I, I don't know. Like, that's why don't you tell me? That's funny. Okay, he has nothing um, to say. He's, he's sucking his pinky. Okay. Nice, <laughs> nice. Pinky. Um uh well, I think this has been a, a really uh, great conversation. Uh unless anything anybody has anything else? No, I I'm good. I just want to say thank you all so much for having me. I had a great time. Um anytime y'all need another, you know, guest speaker to come on, I'm always fair game. If there's oh. anything I can do to ever help y'all out. Um, I'm always fair game for that as well. So feel free to reach out to me and uh, would love for us to start supporting each other. Yeah, man, for sure, for sure. Perfect. And uh, I guess if I have one last thing to say, I would say, you know, The Secret of the Green and Old comes out October 27th. That's this Tuesday. It'll be available in paperback and ebook format. Um, and I hope everyone enjoys. And book two will be out a few months later. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include the link in the episode description too, so you guys can find it there. Yep. Perfect. Yeah, Nate, I'll uh, shoot you a text to the link or an, or an email. We'll figure it out after this. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, I'm Poet. I'm Billy. Perfect. And I'm Jake Shuford, and thank you so much. 
Good night. This is the outro. This is the outro. This is the outro for the Poet and Billy Podcast Extravaganza.